All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland, and our guest tonight is T. Fox Dunham, author and general paranormal fan. Do I call you T. Fox? I think it's a great nickname. What oh, you I can call? just call me Fox. Fox is okay. fine. All right. All right. Ooh, T. Yeah. Fox, though, it sounds like some sort of like, uh, you know, somewhere between Animal Crossing and rap. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like a, a rapper, which is... Right, well, T-Fox. Yeah. Probably the least thing that I am. Well, hello, Kara. Hello, Chauncey. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Great. It's it's great to have you on again. You know, yours is a name that, even though we it's been a long time since we had you on last, it's a name that we run across uh, quite a bit through our social media and ParaX mm -hmm. and, and all that stuff. So um, our topic tonight is talking about the new book that you have curated um, mm -hmm. coming through in waves, crime fiction inspired by the songs of Pink Floyd. Mm -hmm. um, I, I guess the two main questions are why crime fiction and why Pink Floyd, but let's start with crime fiction. You know, why, you know, um, how, how did you get peaked out in, in crime fiction? It, it is very much its own scene of, of fiction that has its own level of diehards. You know, how did you get in there? I have to, I have to admit something to you. I'm a bit of a mafia addict when it comes to reading mafia stories in history or watching mafia movies or documentaries. To me, they're very, the, the stories of the various mafia figures are quite Shakespearean. And we don't really have modern tales of the fall of kings anymore. But if you look to the stories of gangs like the Italian mafia, and there are many other different kinds of organized crime families out there, you can still see these heroic, tragic tales of the falls of kings happening even today in these sort of, and we don't realize it, but we're actually living in a country that's full of these sub kingdoms uh, across the country ruled by these various warlords um, that live in this other world that we sort of orbit around and hope we never, never travel into. And I just found that very compelling. So, you know, I love to write what I enjoy reading and studying and it just sort of fused together for me in a very happy way. You know, I think you just sold it to me. I've always found it somewhat interesting <laughs> and, and I wasn't sure exactly why, but yeah, you're right. This sort of shogunny um, sort of city state battle um, situation is exactly what that is, isn't it? Oh, that is mm -hmm. interesting. Huh? I love it. I love it. That, that, that I, I don't know. I've, well, we live in a society that's been very, um, inundated with crime fiction from tv shows like csi and all this stuff you know it's it's, it's all over the place and and i was trying to see what my love of it was and one of my loves of it, it especially with like uh elmore leonard and um and uh quentin tarantino later is they sort of create this sort of fictional world that that i'm assuming doesn't really exist where it's all um retro interracial and all this stuff where um Elmore Leonard was really most famous for doing this stuff of having these sort of interracial larger than life characters that really ran into one another that maybe wouldn't have run into each other in real life. Um, and then moving on from that, you know, why, why specifically Pink Floyd as the inspiration? Well, let me, let me jump back in time a year. And this is just when the pandemic was getting going and my wife and I had just moved to the lovely yet sedate city of Lancaster out of Philly. That was quite the jump. Um, I got an email from my first real novel editor, Matt Lewis over at 
Goddard books. He had published my first book, my first foray into novel writing, uh, The Street Martyr. And I had not heard from him for, for years, ever since he flew me out to San Francisco and had a release party there. And he sort of had left the field for a while, but he was doing these books based on, like, like Pink Floyd, like the um, Coming Through in Waves, where he was taking um, bands and music and connecting them to crime noir stories. And he wanted to do another one. And he said, well, you know what? I haven't spoken to Fox for a while. It'd be nice to reconnect. Let's see if he'll do the book. And we, we got into this conversation about what the book should be. And you know, there's always, always this argument over authors need to be paid and some publishers are okay just sort of accepting stories and giving them credit. So I said, I'll do it, Matt. And I've never edited an anthology before, but I know many editors who have, and the ones who hadn't shot themselves had you know, <laughs> bemoaned to me over liquor many nights they wish they'd never gone and done it. So I was hesitant because you really want to do your own work. But I said, okay, Matt, I'll do it, but we need to send the proceeds to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Of course, I'm a, I'm a cancer patient off and on for the last 20 years, starting with lymphoma. So I said, I'll, I'll put my heart into this and deal with the struggle and the pressure and you know, the late night uh, thinking of um, you know, just, just sort of running away and getting away from all this work and changing my name to Hemingway and starting as, as a new author again, if we can donate that, you know, the proceeds to that. And he said it was a great idea. And I knew many authors would be interested in supporting that with their work. And I just love it when you can bring together something you love for a good cause. So I, I was there and he said, okay, what band? And I was like, oh dear, he's gonna have to lock me down to a band. Um, I'm very eclectic in my musical tastes. I couldn't really say something like, um, like the Chieftains, I didn't think they'd go for that or um, something New Age or even Mumford and Sons. I wanted to broaden out the music a little bit to give my potential authors uh, plenty of uh, options to pick from and going back a couple of decades. And I thought, you know what? I've always loved The Wall. I've always loved Pink Floyd. I think that would speak to many of the different generations of crime authors we have. So sure, why not? Pink Floyd. And we were off. Mm -hmm. So what were the instructions? You know, are, are you pick a song, pick a line, pick an album? You know, uh, what if two people, uh, let me not get ahead. Is it pick a song, pick a line or pick an album? It was very much, um, we put out the request on various um, uh, submission sites, Facebook, Doe Trip, I believe had it go up. And we said, okay, when you get an idea for a story, contact the, contact the editor of me, tell me which song you want to use Give me a little bit about your story and I'll, I'll lock it in. I had the spreadsheet going. So they would pick a song and then somebody else would try and I'd say, I'm sorry, that song has already been taken. And every week or two, I would publish the list of songs that had been taken and we'd sort of negotiate. And now um, here's, here's something funny for you. By the time we were done, Matt said, oh, you'll get, you'll get 20, 25 authors. I'm sure that'll be it. And it won't take very long to edit. I got 70 authors who Oof. wanted to submit work for a anthology that needed stories that were about 1,000 to 3,000 words in length, and I could do about 20 stories, so. Wow, so you got yourself a sequel, basically. Indeed. If I... <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that's what I was was my second question I was going to get to. It's like when you had competing uh, song titles, you know. Uh, so here's a question that I got about editing an anthology. Um, my when I first started writing, my wife was doing some of the editing for me, and um, and mostly just spelling and stuff. But she had a hell of a time, like getting to artistic prose and saying like this should be reworded and that should be reworded do you get I'm assuming you got less pushback on this one because it was for a good cause but but do you get pushback when when trying to fix somebody's work you know it's funny I was worried about that I thought to myself what right do I have to edit the work and then I'm oh wait I'm the editor <laughs> no, you I, have all I, the power. <laughs> all the power, exactly. Then, boy, did I not want that power for. Oh, so, um, so I would work with the. There were many stories that I just rejected right away. They were all missing something, like they were missing a chord in the song, or or missing a beat of the heart, or they would set up a surprise that they didn't uh, build at the beginning. Like you, get, you can't just have sort of a day ex machina twist at the end you need to have a, a moment where the reader is going oh yeah he did say that at the start we can go back and it's sort of set up that way and um the stories i picked out just sung to me but they just had that certain x factor that i can't quite explain um that i hear editors saying that always very frustrating to me before it didn't have that x factor well it didn't have y z and b and d no just not, not the heart, not the court. And then as I worked with them, um, I, I gave them my best. I mean, I really poured my editing skill and years of editing my work um, onto their stories. And what I, I wanted to win them over with my arguments and by showing them how incredible their story could be. And you know what? I did not have one moment of pushback. They read the edits and they responded, they said, wow, you really brought this together or you really, you really made this story whole or you saw the parts of the vision that I was missing and, and you really helped make this a great story. And now here's the thing, um, all the stories I rejected and there were about 50, um, I felt so bad rejecting them because I have been on that end so many times, no matter sure. how successful you are, you still get rejected. So I wrote them personalized critiques of every story which I can tell you took me six months, but yes. they were so pleased to get the response that I actually got thank yous for the rejections. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I had a, I had a <laughs> it's great a trick experience. I need to learn. <laughs> yes, tell me about it. It's a, something I'm sure that as I'm playing the odds would not keep happening over time. Right. And, and how do you find these authors? You know, do, uh, is it you that's putting it out there? So when this, when they come to you and they say, hey, we want to do this book, we want, here's the, the title. Do they say, we're going to get a bunch of authors and you're going to figure it out? Or is it up to you to go out and get them? We put up, we put up the submission guidelines that I helped write <clears throat> um, because sometimes submission guidelines can be missing certain elements that are needed, like shun format, double space, um, things like that, that, that often get get missed and also guidelines things like I didn't want I wanted fun stories I wanted uh, stories that made you laugh I didn't want anything harsh I didn't want any kind of torture definitely no sexual assault in any kind of way I wanted people to enjoy the stories that they were reading and not feel that darkness or that 
horrors. So we, we made sure to put that all up in the submission guidelines. And then it just got spread around. Like we put it up on Facebook. Um, it got spread around the crime community, the noir community. Uh, various people were asking me about it and they would let their authors know. And also uh, various writing groups, um, say in England, Scotland, even, even like in Australia, a couple Australian authors contacted me and wanted some more information. And then they said they were gonna spread the guidelines to their authors. So once we planted that seed, the stories just, you know, the requests just started coming in and then the stories started coming in. And I felt quite overwhelmed for a time. I had to keep several databases and spreadsheets so that I would show the authors the attention, the appreciation that they deserved as professionals, especially submitting to a charity anthology for which they would receive no pay. Right. Right. You know, I, di I didn't think about the, the sort of horror factor. Um, and, and I get what you're going for because you were looking for something uh, pulpy, something noir, something not horrific. <clears throat> Do you get a lot of those ended up being submitted anyway, or, or were people pretty generally good about following those guidelines? Uh, most, mostly they were generally pretty good. But I did get some shock stories that uh, definitely did not fit the guidelines. And some of them scared me a little bit, to be honest. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know, people, people sometimes will mistake uh, shock horror for a good story. And they'll, they'll want to make it as shocking as they can without that, that narrative to go with it. And some of these I was, I, I'm definitely not going to say who, but I was just like, these are just sadistic stories that definitely don't belong. You know, especially when you've got an anthology that that people will be reading in support of charity right um, you know, right thank you for your submission i'm calling the police yeah basically <clears throat> yeah. oh uh, they um were you there that night oh i <laughs> sorry exactly <laughs> and so what about you do you have a story in here i know you're a writer in your own regard in my own regard indeed <laughs> um yes i do but it wasn't contingent on that. I wrote the intro because I wanted to tell my story. I wanted to tell the story about how I found a um, golf ball sized lymph node behind my ear one night after shaving. So I knew it wasn't there. And then it was about an hour later as I was watching a wonderful episode of Deep Space Nine, my absolute favorite. Yeah. Um, and then that led me to this wild and insane world of chemotherapy and doctors and severe radiation and my oncologist comes in to tell me that um, the treatment has a rather low chance of working and that I just want to spend the next couple of years with my family instead of going through this and um, just and then what came after the post-cancer world the disability the wheelchair that eventually I shrugged off and um, just the pain that I had suffered and how important it was especially in this time of pandemic and COVID very serious very important mm -hmm. we lost wonderful people in the human race and everyone's needed and it's just a shame what happened and it was very important we fought that but we also can't let the urgent overshadow the important because charities like the leukemia and lymphoma society lost a lot of funding over the last year and many of them are looking ahead figuring out how to survive I, that makes a lot of sense. You know, all the so, money has been focused towards something else at that point. Huh? So I did, 
I did decide to include a brief story. And there are, there are cases where there are, have been editors in the past who have founded anthologies only to get their own work published when they failed many other times. So there's a lot of, a lot of controversy with this, should editors put their own work into it? So what I did was I wove my story into the introduction. And at first, <laughs> this is an interesting story. At first, I, I was going through a battle with social security at the time. Um, with disability, especially with the last administration, they tried to kick a lot of people off for um, unlawful reasons. And so I had a lawyer at the time. So I wrote this story about uh, what was happening at Social Security and about um, some of the politics that were happening, a lot of people being thrown off that shouldn't have been. It was definitely political. I, I was uh, rather um, angry at the time. And I sent it to uh, the publisher at Gutter Books, Matt, and he said, Fox, I can't use this story. It's too political. I know some authors right away that are going to be very angry at this. And I went, oh, Matt, you know what? I was upset. I was angry at SSI, SSA. And you know what? If I were the editor, I wouldn't have accepted this story either. So we pushed that aside. And then I did another one about um, a young man who's trying to get medication for his mom who's dying of cancer in Philly, and she doesn't have good insurance, and he's taken to stealing this medication. And the whole time it's happening between these two walls at Penn, so it was, I based it on the song, The Wall. So I do have a story in the anthology, though it's only 2,000 words long. You know, that answered my next question, your, your <laughs> explanation there. My next question was like, <clears throat> do you edit yourself but instead you send it to your higher up to, to get the approval you know because like how do you set yourself aside and be all this is the best story this one is the one for the thing <laughs> but you know i never thought about it the the people putting together anthologies to just get their own story out there it did um, happen oh i'm sure it happens all the time yeah mm -hmm. i'm sure it happens all the time that makes a lot of i mean it's a smart move so, <laughs> I can't come down on it. Um, <clears throat> so what range are, are we dealing with mostly like, like tech detectives? Well, this is a wonderful story. You know, I, I interview a lot of people myself and I find there are two people, there are two ways of uh, people answer questions. Sometimes they answer very briefly and succinctly. And sometimes they tell long stories that answer four or five questions. So I'm going to try to get in the middle somewhere with this as I, as I proceed, just going over my own protocol. So I was going for variety. I wanted a box of chocolate crime kidnapping, uh, uh, sort of um, crime family stories of, of various types, mostly robbery stories, or there were a couple stories about um, a murder that happened years ago when a person was still running. But I wanted a nice variety. Of stories. I wanted um, lots of different uh, characters that are generating various crimes that are going on. Uh, some of them were a little darker. Some of them were sort of that bumbling criminal story with somehow they, they make out at the end with robbing the bank and they have no idea how they did it. There was one cool story about um, a gentleman who was hallucinating. Uh, that was a great story in the beginning. In fact, I put it right up front called Come in 51, Your Time is Up by D.B. Schalscher. And if you read the story, 
um, it, it's almost surreal the way it happens. This, this guy's in jail. He doesn't know why he's in jail. And they keep getting his name wrong. And by the end of the story, his identity has sort of switched with this um, other person in jail's identity. And the whole story is sort of uh, counted with a beat, the sort of sound the plumbing is making. And it was very rhythmic and hypnotic. And then I ended the story with a wonderful tale from a friend um, from um, Australia. And it's, it's a story that's sort of set in the afterlife with, with God and creation and the devil. And it's sort of this odd, the other crime story about a heist that happens in the afterlife. And I, I really enjoyed uh, put, putting that one in by Paul Mattering in Australia. So um, if you read it, you're, you're not gonna find any story is quite the same. They all have very different characters and very different themes. And that was something I was very lucky to get from my talented cadre of authors. Yeah, I'm curious. Uh... With your knowledge of like real life mafia stories and history and so on, did you ever get a story and think, oh, that's very much like this thing that actually happened? Or, you know, I'm just wondering how like your knowledge sort of informed the editing process. There was, there were a couple of stories about um, an English, English crime family, like the, going back to the Crays that did remind me of the Cray family and some of the heists and some of the sort of collection operations that they had going on in the streets of London. Uh, but, but most of the stories besides the, the ones with the English crime family were just sort of about individual characters um, who are planning a heist or had murdered somebody or uh, were coming home from jail. And, and a lot right. of them, there were really a lot of mafia stories in the book. Interesting, okay. So less organized crime and more, you know, individual. Yeah, right, right. Which I think is maybe more Pink Floyd anyway. Indeed. Think about Indeed. <laughs> yeah, the subject matter. Are there any Pink Floyd songs that didn't make it in there that you would have swore would? You know, come to think about, you know, it's funny you ask me that. I'm, I'm thinking back to the songs. Let me look over my list. Um, there were a lot of the optimistic songs mm. that, that never made it in um, from, from like the Division Bell. Mm -hmm. or um, like Lear Learning to Fly, I believe, was, I can't quite remember the title, but uh, many of the optimistic music that came from um, like albums like The Division Bell never got in. So, but, but songs like Heartbeat Pig Meat by Kenneth W. Kane, who wrote a very interesting story about a sort of labyrinth and a sort of minotaur maze going on that was really mm -hmm. interesting. Or uh, my co-host, Phil Thomas, of course, grabbed Hey You from the Wall, which is one of my favorite songs, and did Very a nice good. job with that. Or I mother... assume I assume the wall and dark side got most of them. They did indeed. <laughs> they did indeed. Yeah. So because those are the ones I know. So I'm exactly. So I'm very happy, happy about, about this. That. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you're going back to the Sid Barrett days, I'm not going to know what you're talking about. So. Oh yeah. What was the one that was all piano, uh, black cover with like white and blue and and uh red bars and it's pretty much all piano songs no i think i've, I've ignored that one so i'm not yeah, sure <laughs> yeah yeah it was a weird one you know and uh, you got to be a fan you got to be a fan to get to some of them get to some of them so did it prompt the idea of doing this with other bands i mean uh, how has the backlash been has it been positive uh, well let me ask you this first is there a backlash from the band is that the sort of is this is 
is this the sort of thing where the band could take issue with it? Well, um, the publisher did a lot of research on this when they started. And it turns out that the song titles, he says, uh, can't be copyrighted. They can be used in stories, just not the lyrics. So we were very, very careful to eliminate any of the lyrics that showed up in the story itself. Um, but I, I would hope that I did it respectfully and tastefully enough as an homage, uh, as a declaration of love to Pink Floyd and the many stories that they have inspired. And that's actually one of the reasons I wanted this to be a charity anthology was because I didn't feel right profiting off their, their creative, yeah. you know, their, their art and their music. So has there been any uh, throw out uh, basically like, hey, here's another band we should do? Oh, there's been several requests to the publisher after the book, you know, came out to, to try try to get it. And, and Matt, I think, is probably looking forward to doing it uh, in a year or two. And I've certainly had people going, hey, Fox, did you contact the editor and tell him I'd be great? I'd like to do it about this band, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like Aerosmith or ACDC or a couple of more. Yeah. Aerosmith one would be gross. <laughs> yeah, there, there were a couple ones. And I just sort of said, um, here's the email, the editor, you go ahead and, and shake his tree with this because I am out, baby. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, I say Aerosmith would be gross because it's a running joke around here. Um, my daughter always forgets his name, like whenever he comes on and stuff. And she just refers to him as the dirty guy because she <laughs> thinks he looks dirty, not mm -hmm. like not like sexually dirty, but like physically dirty. <laughs> she thinks he yeah. looks dirty. And uh, so he's, uh, yeah. So if there's a Ramones one, give me a call. Take that to oh, your editor. I will. I will. <laughs> I'll send you the email. Oh, no, 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 no. no I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> um, okay, this is totally off topic, but um, I am going to have to address this with you. Um, Please. Deep Space Nine is your favorite? That's like totally my least favorite of all Star Trek. Not yet. Okay, it is my favorite. And, um, <laughs> What's up with I that? <laughs> I don't know. I just like the, the freedom that they had in the writing. And I know that it was the first uh, series that jumped off the Roddenberry, um, where, they, where they, the Federation could never be in a war, and they'd all be individual episodes. And I don't know, I was just very fond of the characters in Deep Space Nine, especially the character of Garrick, played by Andrew Robinson. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and Garrick was, is definitely a keeper. It was the episode, um, The Die is Cast, where he was um, going with an Auburn chain to attack the Dominion, but the whole thing had been a trap created by the founders. And that was the episode I was watching at 11 o'clock at night. I just shaved. I was getting ready to go back to high school after having Lyme disease uh, for six months that had taken me out. I'm an avid fisher angler. So sooner or later we all get Lyme disease. And that's when I just shaved right here. So I knew it was flat. And as I was watching the show and it was that wonderful scene where the founders attacked the Cardassian Romulan fleet. And as I was checking to make sure I got all the hairs on my chin, I suddenly found this golf ball. I mean, it was a golf ball and it had grown in about probably about half an hour from nothing. And it's like a switch that goes on and you touch it. And I, I was just like, okay, I have a mass. I thought it was an inflammation, an inflamed tooth. I called a doctor the next day and said, I, I should come in and, and he said, oh, it's probably just a cyst. 
you're probably just exaggerating it. And I sat in that waiting room the next day and I, he took me back and he's like, okay, so where is it? He's like, okay, so it's probably just a cyst. It's probably just any, he just stopped talking. Oh, it's going to be right here. I'm sure it's then silence. And in that silence, I was like, oh no, I'm in trouble. Yeah. And two days later, they cut it out. Um, major surgery. They removed a lot of my salivary glands, my um, parietic gland. I'm missing part of my jaw over here. Fortunately, the doctor was also a gifted uh, plastic surgeon. So he rebuilt a lot of my face, just a little scar back here. And then it took them two months to even figure out what it was because it was such a rare form of lymphoma. It was actually, I actually got lymphoma twice in the same tumor. It was Hodgkin's, which is pretty treatable, but then it was also large cell, which is basically a death sentence. So, and that began my trip into chemotherapy. I had very heavy chop treatments. Your hair falls out. It, it's a weird thing to wake up in the morning and sort of rub your head and your eyebrows come out your hands. <laughs> it's, oh, yeah. I, I, I know it sounds weird. In fact, I just told the story to a friend of mine, Jesse, who I've been meeting at night to play Deep Dungeons and Dragons online. Um, he's, he's a good friend that I just met in, in Louisiana. He's doing great. And he was talking about, we were talking about our long hair. And my hair at that time was down to my middle back. I just let it grow out. I planned to, you know, let it keep growing for the next 10 years. And when they told me, when the doctor told me I would need to have chemo, my first thought wasn't, oh my God, I'm going to die. Or, oh God, what's chemo going to do? Or, or radiation. It was my hair. No. Oh, yeah. oh God. My glorious hair. hair. <laughs> yeah. And it all fell out. It was, we cut off the back of it. And then uh, my white count died from the chemotherapy. It's what it does. It kills fast growing cells. And they put me in reverse isolation so no one could touch me in the hospital. And it happened quickly. So I was not able to shave my head. And with, with chemo, it's most people think radiation makes your hair fall out and it does, but chemo actually is what does it for cancer patients. And it doesn't just sort of all fall off in your hand. It tugs on there. So within a day, as I'm rubbing my head about, my bed was covered in hair and I was going crazy. I was like, let me out of here. This is driving me nuts. Please do something. And finally, my oncologist said, screw it. He went in with a pair of nursing shears and just started cutting it off for me. Oh, well, that's nice. Was there any cancer? I mean, any connection between the cancer and the, and the Lyme disease or was that purely coincidental? If anything, um, I was going to get the cancer eventually, but the Lyme disease and the antibiotic treatment that I had for it with PICC lines and intravenous probably suppressed my immune system enough that it oh. let, this, let the cancer run free. I so, so I didn't get Lyme disease and then it gave me cancer. It was just, just a tragic uh, circumstance. It caused the cancer to grow faster because of yeah. what it had done to your immune system. Basically, yeah, it was, um, yeah. Wow, that's heavy, that's heavy. So uh, are you free and clear now or are you always um, to be oh, watching? No. You're oh, always... I have to always be watching. That's something Dr. McKenna told me. Fortunately, um, the third world rated radiation oncologist was at a hospital of the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia at the time. And my particular kind of cancer had only been diagnosed nine times before. 
And fortunately, he was the guy that diagnosed the last one in Africa. So, you know, it's like, it's like miracles and fate. Uh, they say God doesn't cause problems, but he, but she sends solutions, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, he was there and he really didn't think, he, I mean, he developed this whole new treatment. He did research around the world and he thought it had a, a rather low chance of working. So when I went into remission, it was um, a, a miracle of sorts, I guess. I just think of it as an accident of thermodynamics and mathematics. But he said that I would never be able to consider myself cured, that I would always be in remission mm-hmm. and that I would always need the CAT scans and, and you know the checkups every year or two. And with that and the damage that the radiation did uh, to my spine when they when they radiated my body for about my body for about uh, four or five months every day um, basically my life has been constantly seeing doctors and constantly looking for yeah. cancer mm-hmm. and they did find it eventually it did come back on my thyroid uh, uh, it was a uh, it was a couple of weeks before I was going to get married um, which was which was quite a lot of fun let me tell you and they had to cut it out and there have been some questionable moles in the radiation field fortunately they've They've cured themselves. Cancer actually can cure itself with your immune system, but you only see that with skin cancer because it's the only one that's exterior. But, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm set up for another uh, cardiologist appointment to deal with chronic heart failure from the chemotherapy. And then I've got to see my oncologist again down at Penn, probably in about six months and uh, do another scan. And there's always lumps that need to be poked and prodded and scanned and, and stabbed. So you know, right. but, yeah. but there's, as I tell people, especially new cancer patients who are terrified, I say, you would be amazed with what you can learn to live with, with what becomes normal, you know, so anybody, we all have the strength to deal with it. Right. Yeah. You know, I've, I've heard varying things from artists who have dealt with cancer or just chronic diseases, disability um, Mm -hmm. that have come on suddenly about how it impacts their work. And, you know, I've I've heard like two opposite things. I've heard, you know, confronting your mortality, confronting, you know, the loss of stuff you took for granted really makes you think more deeply about life. And then I've also heard sometimes bad things just happen and it doesn't make you any wiser. And I... (laughs) I kind of, I mean, no, I, I'm I, definitely I, in the second camp. I'm hoping Fox is in the first. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what well, your this perspective is, something is that's, on that. That's come up with the pandemic too, about people choosing paths of self-destruction or putting themselves in the way of harm. Um, it's, it's very true. It does depend on the person. You know, I would go into the chemo room and it's actually a circle of chairs. Um, then you're all sitting there getting chemotherapy at the time. And uh, there would be some of us reading existential books. And then there's the guy with, who's fighting lung cancer who goes out and says, can you tie me up, love? I'm going to go out and have a cigarette. And you're just like, it, it just, it doesn't, doesn't dawn on some people. It, I, I had it when I was very young and it, it wasn't so much the cancer that really, um, that, that really got to me. It was the side effects and the pain afterwards and pain is something that I've had to deal with for a long time, something that I've hidden from a lot of people and still feel like it's my duty, duty to hide from people. And that's something that I'm doing less and less. 
as I get older. And it, it is it is odd the way it got to me. It was, um, I do have survivor's guilt. And it makes me feel like I'm not doing enough. And then you have survivor's guilt. Like, you don't deserve to have these successes. And there are definitely choices in my life that I've made as an artist. Um, and in fact, friends have yelled at me for this, where I've not done the thing that, that would really be big or not written the book that would really sell well um, because of that survivor's guilt that has haunted me. Um, and then I go back and I say, well, you know, Fox, how this works, thermodynamics. Really, it's just an accident of math. People get sick. Our bodies aren't these unified pieces of art that religion has taught us to think of them as. Actually, there are a bunch of systems that have evolved in nature that are pretty much at times at war with each other. And a lot of the disease that comes from the body is like cancer. Cancer itself is caused by, uh, in many cases, cellular division. And there's this one gene that, um, that scientists can turn up and it causes your body to uh, reproduce cells more and cells divide faster and you, you live longer, um, but you develop cancer almost immediately and then they turn it down and your lifespan's a lot shorter, but you're basically cancer free. So nature, we've evolved in balance. We've evolved with, with these different systems at war with each other, like the way an immune system can turn into lupus or MS, or the way your own systems can suddenly start attacking each other. Um, like um, in certain cases, pregnant women have their own children, their own fetuses killed by their own immune systems, and it's a terrible disease. So um, what happened to me was just what I call, uh, it's what I call the price. It's the cost of doing business, is that if we're gonna be here on this earth and we're going to be alive, we have to take the chance that our systems can break down. That's basic thermodynamics. That's the first law of the universe. As far as I'm concerned, it's God. And I'm very comforted when I think of that. And then the next day, I'm feeling sorry for myself and attacked. And, you know, so again, I still haven't sure. quite gotten there. And again, it's that those different systems competing with each other, there's different mindsets and influences. And in the end, you know, is that really important? Or the story I wrote, is that important? Or the dinner I just made for my wife, that's important. And every day getting up and fighting that particular day. And I don't know, in the end, it's all ash. Right. So, Yeah, I'm not sure if it's good parenting on my part, but that's what I've always told my kids is they're just all this, what should I do this, that or the other thing. And, and I tell them, uh, you know, ultimately, I don't think anything matters other than what you decide matters. So decide that something matters so that you can do something with your life, because <laughs> ultimately, you know, what matters it, it either nothing matters or it's beyond our comprehension. You know, you go ahead and decide what matters to you and then you do your best to make that happen. You know, most, um, most important thing in this life is love. Yeah. So, so doing all this, speaking of loves in life, uh, you know, doing all this editing for coming through in waves, um, did it put your own artistic efforts on the back burner for months? It sounds like. Yes, it did. Um, I am actually pretty disabled and that's something I don't, I don't really talk about because it, 
because there are there are editors and there are people out there who look at their plans and they look at books they want to get out and they they some of them do look at me and go well i'm worried he's not going to deliver or i'm worried he's not going to be able to do the promotion like i need him to do uh -huh. so again that's something mm -hmm. that i especially when i go to conventions and stuff i hide a lot of it um but right. but yes uh, to do the anthology i was supposed to do it in like three or four months and i told matt i said it could take a lot longer especially when you had 70 submissions come in sure. um, so so yes it there were a lot of times where i'm like i committed to doing this and there were stories i wanted to write but i only had the energy that day or that week to edit this you know anthology but i made a commitment and you know what if it kills me i finish my commitments and that's why i protected my reputation so are you getting back to work? What are you yes, working I on? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. What are you working on? What can we um, see from you then? Well, I, I have been looking uh, uh, for motives. I have been, I had a pretty nasty kidney infection the last few months. And between that and a rather harsh reaction I had to the vaccine, which I'm also not telling people about because uh, they need to get the vaccine. Uh, sure. You're going to get some side effects but it's nothing compared to what COVID will do to you. And it did make me pretty sick. Um, but of course that's a special condition because of my weakened immune system. Um, but I've been rebuilding myself from these various uh, illnesses I've had over the last few months. And I have been doing historic fiction, which I just love writing. I'm the guy that um, will sit up all night reading a book of English history about the dissolution of the monasteries by um, Cromwell and King Henry VIII. And I'm like, okay, where do they send the funds now? Oh, the villages no longer had the alms, so they had to start working out a budget for the, you know, I'm the, I'm, I just love the detail and I love digging deep into so many different historic elements. So the last, uh, the last couple of months, I've been writing historic crime fiction. Like I did a piece um, based on Nicodemo Scarpa, who was the crime lord of Philadelphia, the New Jersey Philadelphia crime family from the 80s uh, for, a, for Mango Press for Mitzi Sorrento and her new book coming out um, on, on crime stories. And that was a wonderful piece to do. And I did a lot of research into Philly in the 80s. And then I moved on to an, a story about Queen Elizabeth. And she was two years into her reign. She was in love with Robert Dudley, who of course was married to Amy Dudley. And two years into their reign as they were discussing divorce and marriage, Amy Dudley was found at the bottom of the stairs of her friend's house, dead with a broken neck. And of course, it was a major scandal and a murder mystery that's never been solved. So I had a lot of fun digging into Elizabethan history and characters like um, uh, Lester, or wasn't the old Lester then, Robert Dudley, and Elizabeth Tudor, and um, uh, just wonderful crime figures like um, the, the great spy master, I can't think of his name all of a sudden, but um, like Lord Burley and just the various characters uh, in, the, in the story. And now I'm moving on to, I've made some arrangements with another publisher to do some stories about Sherlock Holmes set in Victorian England. I'm leading up to 1922. My story involves the Naval Limitation Treaty in 1922. All the different governments got together and said, we're gonna cut our 
you know, cut our tonnage to be this, and we're only gonna have these kind of battleships and aircraft carriers. At the time, it was uh, like, like SALT 1, SALT 2, because uh, naval ships in 1922, navies were gonna cause the next world war, just like in the 60s, it was nuclear weapons. So I'm having a lot of fun reading Sherlock Holmes and studying Victorian London and Edwardian London later on, and of course, into the 1920s. And so that, so basically I'm focused on historic fiction right now and combining it with crime stories and just having fun. Oh, that sounds really cool. Very, very cool. Well, um, we're not too far away from the end here. You know, um, where, where's the best place for somebody to get the book coming through in waves? Oh, just go over to Amazon. Amazon. Um, Amazon is the mecca of writers and modern works. Um, I am going to work on getting it in the stores at Barnes and Noble. Often that requires a distributor, but Barnes and Noble recently changed its policy where it's going to start uh, putting indie works on the shelf. So other authors oh. out there, if you've got a book, go to your local Barnes and Noble, talk to them, get it on the shelf because oh. they're trying to get back to the community. But or head over to my website at www tfoxdunham.com. Okay, and if people want to know about uh, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, they just uh, search that up. Indeed, yes, there are a couple different cancer societies. So um, this is specifically for blood cancer patients or three kinds of blood cancer, leukemia, lymphoma, and of course some sub ones, bone cancer, things like that. But yeah, you can find that anywhere on the internet and please send some money, buy the book, and of all things, write a review on amazon.com good or bad we live and die on our reviews out there so get out and write a review put it on amazon.com sounds good all right uh all right. you've been listening to t fox dunham here on radio wasteland thank you very much for being on yet again if you want to find out more about him go to t fox dunham d-u-n-h-a-m.com and uh you'll be able to do exactly that thanks a lot for coming on again Thank you so much for having me on, and I thank your kind listeners for their attention. Bye.